0: The sermon text reading comes from Micah 7, verses 19 through 20. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, a couple of things real quick before we start. Uh, I'm going to do a review of the book of Micah this morning as we finished the text of it last week, and, and a review is always a challenging thing, and, and I wanna say this by way of caution up front. Here's why a review is, is challenging, because what I say you will go away thinking are the most important things in Micah, and, and that is not the case. Every word in the book of Micah holds equal value from start to finish. The things I will review this morning are the things I've chosen to highlight, and they're the things that have, uh, that have probably affected me more than they've affected anybody else. And so I'm just going to review for you the way that the book of Micah has affected me. Next week, we're going to be looking and starting a series uh, in the book of Nahum. And uh, almost all of us have heard many sermons on Nahum um uh, okay okay maybe not it's it's three chapters long so it should take you about 10 to 15 minutes uh at tops to read the book before next week it'll not be a long series after Naam, we'll be going into the new testament for a short break and then we'll come back to the minor prophets and we'll wrap up the minor prophets there Um, But this leads me into kind of an announcement. We have a gathering at 9.15 on Sunday mornings except for Second Sunday. Sunday mornings, which means our next gathering will be two weeks from today, where what we're doing is we're going um, over our doctrinal statement, what, what this church happens to believe about the scriptures, God, salvation, and all these other things. And it's a rousing good time, and it's an opportunity for you to better understand not only uh, what we believe here, which is important, only because it's based on scriptures. And so we're going to go through what the Bible has to say on certain points. And we you're welcome to come at any time because the topic will be different every Sunday morning. But the reason I, I say that as a lead-in is because we looked at a text of Scripture from Second Peter this morning where Peter is very quick to say, we look to the prophets as authoritative. And the prophets are to be explained about what they say about the Lord Jesus and so on and so forth. And believe it or not, the book of Micah has a lot to say about Jesus, and I hope we'll find that out a little bit this morning. So take what I say as important, but not everything that there is to say about the book of Micah. And if you do have your maps, it'll be great for you to bring those uh, to uh, for next week because we'll do a little bit of introduction and background in the in Nam, and the last announcement that I'm going to make is there is a possibility possibility that at the end of my talk this morning I'm going to open it up for you to ask me questions about the book of Micah alone. So if there was something that I've said that was unclear or something I didn't say, or if you have a passage in Micah that you would like a little clarification. It may be the only time in my entire career I do this, Uh, but uh, uh, if you have a question about Micah at the end of the talk, I hope to open that up if I remember. Micah. Micah is uh, a tremendous book of the Bible. It was written by an individual who was called by God to be a prophet to the southern kingdom of Israel in the mid-8th century B.C., Um, the southern kingdom would have looked very much like the church in America in 2023. And here's what I mean by that. They would have uh, all professed that they had a belief in the God of the Bible. Um, They would have gone to church, by and large. um, and, And they would have thought that they were okay and solid and squared away as a people. But God sent Micah with a message that said, you're not as safe as you think you are. As a matter of fact, you're not taking me as seriously as you should. And as a matter of fact, as a nation, you are a people who have really fallen into sin. And and I, as your God, hate sin. And, And sin needs to be punished. And And so I'm going to bring judgment on you as a people. And the judgment that I'm going to bring on you as a people will be a picture of judgment universally and eternally for sin. As as how I respond to sin. And it will only be after that judgment, after the problem of sin has been dealt with, that a few people whom Micah calls the remnant will be given the opportunity to to be saved. And that pattern is is really true, not only throughout the Bible, but but in in all of life. That sin is a problem that God takes seriously. And and sin is a problem that God must judge. And it is only after sin being judged that salvation can come. And, And so Micah begins to build that picture and that pattern. The book itself uh, breaks down into what I'll call three sections. It's uh, somewhat artificial, but it's also real. Each one of those sections begins with the word hear, hear, because what Micah wants for God's people is for them to hear what God has to say about sin, about judgment, and about salvation. The three sections are chapters 1 and 2, and chapters 3 through 5, and then chapters 6 through 7. And in each one of those sections, Micah does talk about sin and about judgment, and then he talks about salvation and how God's salvation is going to come. Now, the instrument that God is going to use in the here and now in the 8th century uh, for judgment of the sin of his people was going to be the nation of Assyria. Assyria was way up to the north and the east, and, and Micah prophesied that they would come and they would conquer conquer some of the northern kingdoms and then move down to Damascus and, and, and Syria and then move into the northern kingdom of Israel and destroy the capital city there, which was called Samaria. And ultimately come into the southern kingdom, which they did. And they, they destroyed many of the towns and the villages surrounding the southern kingdom's capital, which was Jerusalem. And the nation of Assyria came right to the gates of Jerusalem and threatened to wipe out that city. But, but there was somewhat of a stay of execution by God. And the city of Jerusalem was spared. The book of Nahum that we're going to start next week is is actually a book about God's judgment on Assyria, and in particular the capital city of Assyria, which was Nineveh, which would have been great news to a people who have just been bombarded by this Assyrian nation. And so the book, which covers a lot of time, the book of Micah, uh, kind of goes in section one from. Micah's predictions that things were going to get bad, and of course nobody listened to him and, and didn't want to hear what he had to say because while Assyria was up there and a threat, they, they really weren't being personally affected by it. And, and so the section number one fell on deaf ears. Well, section number two, chapters three through five, are when the crisis is really on. And Assyria has conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and now moved into the south. And, and everything that Micah had been talking about has now come to fruition. But but interestingly, people still didn't listen. They still didn't listen. And, and I'll explain why in just a minute. And then section three of the book moves us into when kind of the crisis has passed and and we get a glimpse of how the people respond after the crisis had had passed and unfortunately no lessons were learned no lessons were learned well why didn't the people learn their lessons Micah came with a message of judgment and then salvation and and all of his predictions came true and, and here they were personally threatened. Why wouldn't they believe his message? Well, the reason why was because he talked about sin and he talked about judgment. And, and nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to hear that either personally or corporately they have offended a holy God. And that God is going to judge that sin. And so what happens, what happened in the 8th century, and I really firmly believe what happens now, and and what has happened in between has never changed. People start to redefine God. They say, you know, it's, it's a possibility that I have offended him, but my sin is really not bad enough to warrant the judgment of God. And so I really don't believe that I'm threatened. Because after all, there's, there's a few people that I can point out that are way worse than I am. And my sin cannot be bad enough for it to come under the judgment of God. The second way in which people kind of redefine God, both then and now, is to say, well, if I have offended God, all I need to do is is to buy him off. I can buy him off in a number of different ways. I can buy him off by good behavior so that the good things that I do outweigh the bad things that I've done, you know. That's one way. The other way is to go to church a lot, put a lot of money in the offering plate and offer a bunch of sacrifices. Surely that will take the pressure off. In other words, God gets painted in a picture that says he can be bought off. And, and that's really the human condition. I mean, if God is to be believed in, he is not a God who is going to judge me because my sin is not that great, or I know that I can do enough good things to placate this angry God. You may have had that experience personally. You may know people who fit into those categories. they are generalizations, but really and truly, that's how mankind responds to God, and it's the way the people did in Micah's day. And so in chapter 2, when Micah started to preach, and if you've got your Bibles, turn there with me, here was the initial response to Micah's message. Now, if you weren't here, you're just going to have to take my word for it because I don't have the time to explain everything that's being said. But in chapter 2, verse 6, this was the initial response by the priests, the pastors, the preachers, and the leadership who heard Micah's message. They said, do not preach. One should not preach such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. That was the prevailing message of the day. Micah, we don't like your message, so stop. And, and our message is we haven't done anything bad enough to warrant disgrace or judgment. The second thing that they said came in verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, Micah is speaking about those preachers, and what they said, they said, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. In other words, not only is disgrace not coming on us because of our sin, God wants us to enjoy every good thing that he's provided for us. So, so go to the bar and have, a, have another drink and, and just forget about this idea of judgment. And, and then in verse 5 of chapter 3, this is what they cry. They cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. In other words, their message was the only time we have to worry is when God takes away our meal. But other than that, peace, brother, everything is just fine. Everything is great. You don't need to worry about this. Well, the chapter goes on in chapter 3, and we discover that the people who were saying these things were being paid by the leadership in the southern kingdom to say these kinds of things because the people wanted to hear these kinds of things. I mean, really and truly, nobody wants to hear that their sin deserves judgment by God. What they want to hear is you haven't done anything bad enough to warrant the judgment of God. He wants you to enjoy all of life, so go to the bar and have another drink, and peace, everything is fine. So the preachers were preaching this message at the same time they were telling Micah to be quiet. Really and truly, I can't think of anything more contemporary. I really and truly... And you can paint your own pictures of how it is contemporary, or, or maybe you think I'm absolutely crazy when I say this, but uh, I think it's desperately contemporary. Well, God goes on in his message through Micah, and he says, there are going to be some who take what I say seriously. There are going to be some who believe that sin is a real problem, that God needs to judge sin, and, and, and those people are going to put their faith and their confidence and their trust in the fact that God is going to provide a way for them to be saved. Now that number I cannot give you, but there are not many. There's not a lot of them. As a matter of fact, in the book of Micah, those people who put their faith and trust in what God has said are called the remnant. And this is a really important point because really and truly, those of us here in this room who have a relationship with God through Christ are also called the remnant. But we need to have a clear picture of who we are. And Micah paints that picture for us. Because a lot of times what can happen is that we can believe those who put their faith and trust in what God has promised are either smarter than the average bear or are cute or, or smart or, or deserve it or the cream of the crop or the upper echelons. And we can fit into that category of thinking, man, I'm glad... I'm one of them. Do you know? Well, Micah paints a a slightly different picture of the remnant. If you look back to chapter 2 again, and and I'm going to read verse 12 for us, because Micah is very clear about painting this picture. He, He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, and I will gather the remnant of Israel... And I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. I love that part, you see. Now, every preacher in his career has, has talked about, uh, you know, how dumb sheep are and all that other kind of stuff. W- one generic comment about sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they die is just the short version. And and they're noisy and they're smelly, and and that's why this this noisy multitude of men who are gathered together. What Micah is doing is beginning to paint a picture of the remnant as a helpless group of noisy people who wouldn't survive without a shepherd. But his picture of the remnant continues. If you'll look with me at chapter 4, verse 7. And the lame, lame, I will make the remnant. Those who were cast off, I will make a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. He calls the remnant the lame, and the cast-offs. Well, that doesn't fit my categories of smart and cream of the crop and rich and deserving, smart because I put my trust in him. It paints an opposite picture of someone who is absolutely helpless and can do nothing for themselves, who is a cast off by everybody else and God says you're the one that I'm gonna grant faith to trust confidence a very very different picture the Bible picks this up all throughout its pages and in the New Testament we are told that the blind will be made to see and the deaf will be made to hear And the lame will be made to walk. Those without understanding will be given understanding. Throughout the scriptures, the picture of the people who are going to be saved are helpless. Cast-offs. Absolutely without hope. And yet, Micah says that after judgment of sin is accomplished, those are the ones who will have the ability to see, to hear, to walk, to dance, because of what God will do for them. It is very, very important, I think, as Christian people, for us to understand our role in this whole business of salvation we do absolutely nothing. We are completely culpable. We deserve anything and everything God brings about in terms of judgment for sin. But by his mercy and his grace, he takes the hand of the cast off and says, you belong to me. And that's the story of Micah. And so he's crying in the streets about God's hatred of sin and God's impending judgment, which was physically viewed in the problem of Assyria, but but really he was pointing to an eternal problem, and that is man is culpable for his sin and deserves to die, but God is willing to provide a way of escape. And people didn't listen. Instead, they preferred to hear the message. Everything's good. You haven't done anything worthy of the judgment of God. Eat, drink, and be merry, and live in peace. Because you're safe. You're secure. You're all right. Well, at the end of Micah, at the end of Micah, what happens is we have the story of the people... After the crisis. And what we find in chapter 7 is that Micah says you still can trust no one. You can't put trust in your neighbor. You cannot put trust in your family. He even says in the early verses of chapter 7, you can't trust the person you're in bed with at home. Because evil is still prevalent and the problem of sin was ignored by you even though I brought this physical picture of judgment upon you by this nation of Assyria but in the closing parts of chapter 7 Micah himself becomes the narrator and he talks about himself and what he believes and and we looked at this last week, but I think it bears repeating. Micah says, not in so many words, but this is how I'm going to respond to the problem that God has declared with sin and how I'm going to put my faith in what God has said. So in... In verse 7, Micah begins to speak about himself. Chapter 7, verse 7. He says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. As for me, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to look to the Lord and I'm going to wait. Now, Micah lived in a period of time where God had promised salvation, but he didn't know when it was going to come. He didn't know exactly how God was going to deal with the problem of sin and how he was going to judge it. But he said, I'm going to wait, I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust. I see myself as a sheep, as lame, as an outcast, but God has made a promise, and I'm going to put my trust in that. And and then he continues. Verse 8, he says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the, the Lord will be a light to me. And then in verse 9, he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. This is an absolutely critical point in, in anybody at any time in human history to understand God's hatred of sin, his need to judge it, and man's response. Micah says, I own my sin. God is right in judging me personally. I deserve whatever God brings my way. Micah owns that. He says, I have sinned against God. This is what the Bible calls repentance. The recognition that we are sinners in need of of not only a personal change, but for God to intervene so that I don't have to bear the punishment for my personal sin. Micah says, I'm a sinner. I deserve the judgment of God. But then he says, until God pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, Micah knows the promise of God is that there will be a time when God will take care of the judgment of sin. And that's what I'm waiting for. And that's what I'm looking to God for. That's what I'm putting my trust in. And I am waiting until then. But God will execute judgment. That's the point that gets so clearly overlooked. We cannot say, my sin is not bad enough for God to judge it. Micah knew that his son, sin, had to be paid for. It was clear to him. He understood that. And he understood that he couldn't take care of the problem. But God will execute judgment and then he will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. There's coming a day, says Micah, when I will know the vindication of the Lord. Now look with me again at verse 18. Micah asks the question that could be the key to the entire book. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? And again, I'll say this, that word pardoning should say bears, just like it did in verse 9. Who is a God like you, bearing iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Those who put faith and trust. And I took us last week to Isaiah chapter 53, 11, and I commend that verse to you because it becomes apparent in Isaiah that it was the suffering servant who will bear the iniquity of, of mankind and take upon himself the judgment so that the remnant doesn't have to. Who is a God like you? Micah concludes. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And you, O God, will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Not only does God take care of the problem of, of sin by way of putting the judgment on his son, the Lord Jesus. He stomps our sin into the ground and throws it into the depths of the sea. He doesn't bring it up again because judgment has been paid it's satisfied the problem is dealt with and it's people like you and me who now look back on what the lord jesus has done but look forward to his return and we sit here in joy and awe and say praise be to almighty god but in conclusion, let me just say this there, God still takes sin seriously. <laughs> My sin matters. My sin has been paid for, but, but that does not give me license and liberty to not take sin seriously. My sin sent the Son of God to the cross. For me to take that lightly is foolhardy. You see, sin will always be paid for. It will be paid for by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Or it will be paid for by me for all eternity in separation from God. That's why the gospel message is so critical. It is why we are charged to share this message with people so that in the rich mercy of God, they can be the lame who has been taught to walk, the blind who can now see, the deaf who can now hear. And we should never think of ourselves as more lofty than we ought because we're just sheep in his fold. No more, but no less, for sure. And, and those are the highlights of the message of Micah that, that struck me most clearly. Let me pray. Father, I, I have merely scratched the surface of a book that is timeless, that... Uh, changes the hearts of men and women and shows us the rich abiding mercy of a loving God who must judge sin but will also provide a way of escape through the Lord Jesus I pray Lord that we would be mouthpieces for that that we would live in light of that that we would be eager to share the message of the good news of the reality that you hate sin that you will take care of it but that we deserve nothing aside from your judgment but we have been vindicated through the lord jesus christ in whose name we pray amen